0: the medical school hq podcast session number 103 hello and welcome to another episode of the medical school headquarters podcast where we believe that collaboration not competition is key to your pre-med success As always, I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help you on your path to becoming a physician. We all know the MCAT is changing in 2015, and January of 2015 is your last chance to take the current exam. If you're taking that current exam or this current exam before the end of January 2015, Go to NextStepTestPrep.com and mention to them that you heard about them from the Medical School Headquarters podcast, and you'll get $100 off their amazing one-on-one MCAT tutoring. You need to maximize your score so you don't have to worry about retaking the MCAT as a completely new test. Visit our partners at NextStepTestPrep.com and find out why one of our Academy members said she received more value than what she paid for and specifically mentioned how her tutor's ability to change his teaching styles to fit her learning needs was what made it so valuable. Again, that's nextsteptestprep.com. Our guest today is Shay Garrison, a current first-year medical student at Albany Medical College and author of the book Getting Into Medical School, The Ultimate Guide for the Anxious Pre-Med. Shay and I are going to discuss how she basically did everything wrong during her medical school applications, yet still got into medical school, and is now well on her way to becoming a physician. We're going to talk about getting letters of recommendation, application timing, and so much more. So let's get started. Shay, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us tonight.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I say tonight, but somebody that's listening to this may be listening to it in the morning, so... That's the joys of recording anytime you want. But while we're recording this, it's 8.30 at night. So why don't you tell the listeners right now where you are right now on your path to becoming a physician?
1: So, yeah, I'm a first year medical student and definitely really excited to have this opportunity. I applied to medical school during my senior year of college. I didn't take any gap years. and. I just kind of jumped right into it. Sometimes I wish I had taken a gap year because it's uh, (laughs) definitely a lot of work, but I'm pretty happy with where I am. Cool.
0: So you're a a traditional medical student at this point, straight through undergrad to medical school?
1: Yeah. um, The only thing that's a little untraditional about my application is that I was a transfer student. I transferred after my second year of college to another one that's Not really that far away. It was actually just about 10 minutes down the road. Not that I was unhappy with my first one, but I just found that my second university, uh, the University of Rochester, had a much better program that was more suited to my needs. I could study with an open curriculum, and I had the benefit of having a hospital right on campus where I could just go shadow after classes and get some clinical experience.
0: Interesting. So -hmm. let's go back to your decisions to go to undergrad Mm -hmm. and really that decision of, oh, I think I want to be a doctor. When did you have that moment?
1: Well, when I first started undergrad, I wasn't really sure about medicine. I was actually primarily interested in research. So I was a biochemistry major at my first university and I really wanted to get experience. So I went out looking for labs that I thought might have an interesting project. And the most interesting one I found was at Caltech. It was a lab working on mosquito genetics to ultimately reduce dengue fever incidences using a really unique genetic media construct. And I thought that was just fascinating. And I really (laughs) wanted to work in that lab specifically. And I called them and I called them and I could never get through to anybody. And, Once I got hold of a grad student and she said she'd let the PI know and then nothing happened. And so I didn't do any research the summer after my first year. But summer after second year, I finally got a hold of the PI and he told me I could come in. So I started getting that experience at Caltech and it was really amazing. And while I was there, one of the postdocs I was working with really started pushing me to look at medicine. And he told me that I would be much happier as a doctor, that it's um, a fantastic profession. It's what he wishes he would have done. And he really encouraged me to pursue medicine. And so that was my second year. And I kind of thought about it a bit. And then at the end of my third year, I really just decided to go for it. And at the time, what
0: gave you that? encouragement to go for it? Because obviously somebody telling you, hey, you should be a doctor because you'll be happier than me really isn't the (laughs) most secure thing to go. Yeah, I think I'm going to go spend $300,000 on my (laughs) medical school education because he told me to. So what was that thing that put you over the edge?
1: Well, one of my friends, her name's T, was also a pre-med and she was one of my classmates at the U of R and she was really, really interested in medicine and she started. Like telling me all about it. And she got me an opportunity shadowing one of the doctors she researched with. And I really fell in love with it with shadowing. And I realized that it's the ultimate way to apply all of the things I love about science and help people and just have a more direct influence over the well being of people than I would have had as a researcher.
0: Interesting. Okay. So shadowing. And we talk about the benefits of shadowing on this podcast a Mm -hmm. lot. And I think it's something that students feel like they have to do because it's a required to get into medical school, but it's really one of those things. And you had that experience where you really need to do it to see if medicine is right for you. And in your case, it was.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if I were an admissions officer, I would have serious reservations about accepting a student who hadn't had any sort of clinical experience because you can idealize medicine all you want. But if you don't know what it's like, if you don't know what it's like to actually be there all day, seeing patients day in, day out and realizing even the inadequacies of the system. And realizing that, you know, a 15 minute or a 30 minute visit isn't enough time to get patients the help they need sometimes or just realizing that, you know, records get lost. A lot of patients don't know what prescriptions they're on and understanding so many things that could use improvement. If you just come into it with this idealized view of, oh, I'm going to help people and everyone's going to love me and I'm going to make everybody better. You might go to med school and be severely disappointed with your choice. So it's definitely really important to get experience with real patients.
0: It's not perfect like Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So so you got your shadowing experience and that's when you made the decision to transfer schools?
1: Well, I started getting the shadowing experience after transferring because... Yeah, I transferred right after my second year because I was really interested in the majors offered at U of R, um, specifically the molecular genetics major. I felt like it was really in line with my interest and U of R had an open curriculum so I could take classes in art and geology and all of these other subjects that were outside of my major. So and then it had the added benefit of having that hospital on campus. So I really started taking advantage of that my junior year.
0: So it sounds like from just talking to you now, it doesn't sound like you made a mistake in the original undergrad that you went to. You just, the more you took classes, the more you grew, the more you understood that you were a better fit at another school. Does that make, does that sound right?
1: absolutely. Like I wasn't unhappy there. I could have stayed there for the last two years. I really enjoyed the small class sizes. I enjoyed the friends I made. I didn't like have any problems with it. I just realized that I was going to be getting more out of my undergraduate experience by studying somewhere else.
0: Thinking about it now, what questions could you go back and ask your high school self or for a non-traditional student, somebody that's going back into their education path What questions could you ask yourself to maybe get the choice
1: right the first time? Well, I don't think I made a wrong choice because there was no way I could have possibly known that I was going to prefer a genetics major over a biochemistry major. In high school, they didn't have the type of classes where I could have figured that out. I probably would have recommended my high school self really look into schools with open curriculums because that's something that I for me as a learner is something that I really thrive off of just having the opportunity to take whatever I want and um, but I think I didn't really make any mistakes I didn't end up graduating late I wasn't put back I didn't waste a lot of money in a program I wasn't happy in. I just it was just a natural transition and I I think I still did it the right way, even with a second year transfer.
0: Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Now, with that transfer in your transcript, how did, looking forward into your medical school applications, how did that affect your applications, and did anybody ask you about it?
1: Um, Yeah, I had a couple interviewers ask me about the transfer and why I transferred, but I was just honest with them that I was happier with the curriculum at the other school. So I decided to go for it. And I don't think it affected it negatively. In fact, it may have even been a positive thing because um, the second school U of R does have a medical school on campus. They're higher ranked than my first school was. And so it may have even boosted my application a little bit, even though my GPA wasn't quite as high at U of R because it was more competitive.
0: Good. All right. So let's talk about your decision to actually enter the pre-med world and mm-hmm. decide that you want to go to medical school. How did you gather, how didn't you gather information on the whole process of taking the MCAT and applying to medical school?
1: So when I first like really made that decision to take the MCAT and apply after I got my shadowing experience, I really had no idea what I was doing. I Kind of assumed that it was like undergraduate applications and that you could just like get everything in by the deadline and then that would all be fine. And they'd give you like a, the same type of evaluation as they did for every other applicant. And so I opted to take my MCAT August after my junior year because I figured I'd have the summer to study. Right. So this is
0: this is August. Presumably of the year that you'd be applying to medical school.
1: Yeah. And so I took my MCAT in August and I figured I could apply in September when I got my scores back if they were good enough. And so I actually did that. I took my MCAT, I think on August 11th, and then I got my scores back in September. And then I turned in my primary application. And after I did that, I scheduled my first visit with the pre-med advisor (laughs) at school. And he was like, you're applying now? It's so late. You'll never get in. And well, I decided to prove him wrong and get in anyways.
0: (laughs) So so for if you're listening to this and going, wow, August and September, I don't really know what those dates mean. Applications typically open up in June, right?
1: Mm -hmm. And to be a competitive applicant You usually have to apply in June, the first or second week that application's open. If you apply in July, that's really pushing it.
0: That's the typical thinking. And we always frown upon somebody being delayed. I watched an awesome video of an NIH professor talking to a group of pre-med students. And Mm -hmm. he said, if you turn in your application later than July, I think is what he said. Mm Mm-hmm you've already failed once in the eyes of the admissions committees. Mm -hmm. You're showing them that you don't know how to organize yourself and prioritize your commitments because everything is laid out for you. If you go in and ask the right questions, everything's laid out for you when you should be taking the MCAT, when you need to be getting letters of recommendation, when you need to be writing your personal statement and when you should be submitting your application. So. That quote just sticks in my head because it's something that a lot of students like yourself, they Mm -hmm. don't really understand that. They go, oh, I was, I was a great high school student and I applied to schools very easily and got into anyone that I wanted to go to and medical school will be just the same. I had those same thoughts when I applied to medical school too, and we were Mm -hmm. both wrong. Yeah. Now for you, it's worked out. So let's talk about that discussion that you had with your advisor, where did you go from that point?
1: Well, first of all, I wanted to address that quote. And like to say it's all laid out for you, I don't think is really true. There isn't some magical website where you go to and it has a timeline on the top and a you are here button where you could see where you are on the timeline. And oh gosh, I'm a third year. I should have taken my MCAT the summer after my (laughs) sophomore year so I could retake if I needed to. It's too late. You you
0: haven't been to my website then.
1: (laughs) No, I hadn't actually. But from what I can tell, it's definitely a great resource. (laughs) And it's one of the reasons I decided to write my book, The Ultimate Guide for the Anxious Pre-Med. It's an ebook because... After talking to my fellow premeds and applying, I realized that so many people just like me had no idea what they were doing and were planning on just kind of taking the MCAT whenever, applying as long as it's before the deadline and just hoping for the best. And, um yeah, realizing that it's there's not a whole lot of resources out there for people to know exactly what to do step by step. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's. August, you get your score back or whenever you you meet with your pre-med advisor. At that point, did you still have to get your letters of recommendation and your personal statement all done?
1: Yep. So I started getting my letters of recommendation pretty close to the beginning of the academic year. Like definitely in September, I started actually asking my professors for the first time if they'd be willing to write for me. Which I didn't anticipate being a problem, but it was because I learned that professors don't really like being asked to write letters spur of the moment, and they usually want a few months to mull over that and work that into their schedule. But I did end up getting my letters. It usually took them about a month. One of the letter writers that I had asked who had promised to write me a letter and kept saying, oh, I'll have it by this Friday, I'll have it by this Friday or next Friday. He actually never ended up turning it in. So I had to um, check the little box on MCAS that I would no longer be receiving that letter. And that actually delayed my secondaries until November because a lot of schools didn't automatically update that I wasn't going to be receiving the letter. So they had my application like on hold and it wasn't marked as complete or ready for review until I had to call them and get somebody to manually update it.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Mm hmm. It's very important to know is it takes a long time for letter writers. And a lot of times you have to pester them with emails saying, hey, you almost done? Hey, you almost done? Don't forget about me.
1: Yeah, and the unfortunate thing is a lot of letter writers, like they don't have the, I guess they don't have the guts to tell a student that they're not interested in writing for them. So they'll just postpone it and hope the student gets the hint. I've definitely talked to a lot of pre-meds who have that same problem where they're like oh this professor they're avoiding me my application's already late what do i do and i usually advise them to definitely be able to read the professor's body language to know if they're really just busy or if they're actually avoiding you and if they're avoiding you that you're probably better off without the letter of somebody who doesn't want to write for you and to either go without it or find another writer
0: yeah that's awesome so you finally get your secondaries in and you get some interviews. Now somebody listening might go, "Well, she obviously has a 4.0 GPA and got a 40 on the MCAT to be able to get interviews that late in the season. Is that true that you had perfect scores and perfect GPA?"
1: Not at all. By the time I graduated, my GPA average between the two schools was a 3.637. And my MCAT was actually only a 30. So, um, I mean, I shouldn't be saying only yeah, a
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's still a good score.
1: <laughs> it's definitely still a good score. But I've talked to a lot of pre med applicants who are really insecure about getting anything less than a 33 or a 34. I've even seen people contemplating retaking 34s. And I think that's crazy if I can get interviews at top schools and get an acceptance on my first try with a 30 MCAT. And without having cured cancer or come up with the experimental cure for Ebola, like, I definitely think a 30 is an adequate score.
0: Yeah, you obviously had some good stuff in your application. And the one thing, many things that I stress here, one of them is that Your MCAT and your GPA are just part of the application. And you had, it sounds like, some research background, and I'm sure you obviously had the shadowing we talked about and some other extracurriculars. So your application as a whole was still an awesome application, even though somebody listening might go, oh, she only had a 3.6 and, oh, she only had a 30. I think that's the take-home message here is you don't have to be that perfect applicant that everybody thinks they need to be.
1: Yeah. And as far as my application, I think the one thing that stood out about it was that I wasn't actually trying to be the perfect pre-med applicant. I didn't even know I was applying to medical school until the end of my junior year. And so all of my extracurriculars, I didn't go through the checklist and check off, okay, I got research done. I got my clinical experience done. Okay. I got my diversity hobby and all right, poverty (laughs) tourism done. I didn't go through and check off those things. I honestly did things because I wanted to. I wanted to learn about research and I wanted to learn about shadowing. And the only other extracurriculars I had were just my hobbies. I put down on my MCAS CV that I love to paint. I put down that I love to write, that I tutor kids in my spare time and, you know, worked in some inner city schools because that's what I wanted to do. But it's not like I went through and checked off the resume. I think what also really helped my application is I wrote a good personal statement. It was very honest about what I wanted to do in medicine, which is public health and preventive medicine, because I believe that a lot of the illnesses that are the most common causes of death in America, like cardiovascular disease and obesity-related diseases, those are all preventable for the most part with the right type of support and knowledge and lifestyle changes. And so I just wrote about that and some of the experiences I've had that led me to believe that. And the other thing that really helped my application was my letters of recommendation. I know that a lot of students, and I know this because one of my interviewers told me, he said that he received an overwhelming amount of applications across his desk every day that have letters of recommendation with one or two lines. And those lines are, they came to class, they got an A. And that's it. (laughs) That's not a recommendation.
0: That is not a strong letter of recommendation.
1: All that is, is just reiterating what's already on your transcript, that you got an A in that class. And you want to make sure that your professors can say more about you than that. So what I did was because I was genuinely interested in learning from my professors, I would talk to them after class. I would go to office hours and talk about research and talk about the material with them and say hi to them in the hallways. And that's all I did. And apparently that put me apart from the rest of my classes of hundreds of students because nobody else did that. And they still expect a really good letter of recommendation when the professor probably doesn't even know their name until they walk into the office asking that the professor recommends them to have the responsibility of taking others' lives into their hands. Yeah.
0: What did you, going back to the letters of recommendation, what did you ask your letter writers for when you approached them for a letter?
1: Well, I only went to professors that I knew very well. So um, my writing professor from the first school that I transferred from I had had her for a solid year for three different classes. And I just said, hey, I decided to apply to med school. Do you think you'd be able to write me a letter? And she wrote me a really amazing letter. And after the application cycle was done, she gave me the chance to read it. And it was really great. I My PI was definitely supportive. And so I got a good letter from him. And... I just went up to my other professors. I had a, one of my calculus professors whose class I actually got a B minus in. And I asked him for a letter because he knew how hard I worked for that B minus. It was multivariable calculus. And so even though that's not your traditional pre-med success story, I thought it really added something to my application that I knew how to get help in a class when I had no idea what was going on during lecture and that I was, you know, proud of that and not trying to throw it under a rug somewhere and pretend like I only got A's.
0: Yeah, that's good. So you you don't have to go to your best classes. Go, And I keep talking about what we say here, but it's the relationships that you're building and and you've stressed that a bunch as Mm -hmm. well. So that's awesome. And one thing you mentioned, you said that one of your professors wrote you a strong letter. And I was thinking to myself, well, how do you know you're not allowed to read it? But then you had mentioned that you'd saw it after the application cycle. So if you're listening to this, your letter writers sometimes may say, you write me a letter and I'll sign it. That's a big no-no. That's against the the rules. But also the letters that they're writing are not something for you to see until the application cycle's over if Mm -hmm. if they want to show it to you at, at that point. But...
1: And the reason I did ask for the letter after the cycle was over was because it's just something for my resume. When I'm applying to summer jobs, instead of going and hunting down all my professors and asking them to write me other letters, I can show them that letter and say, this is one of the letters that was part of my medical school application portfolio. And I believe it speaks to my character and abilities. And I use it for that as well.
0: You would think just being in medical school would be enough at that point.
1: (laughs) Well, a lot of people don't know about <laughs> what goes into the process, so
0: <laughs> which is why you wrote a book. Let's talk about your book.
1: Yep. So, because of all the mistakes I made and a lot of the um, issues that I noticed, my pre-med friends were struggling with, I decided to write a book. It's an ebook. It's five ninety nine at. All of the major ebook retailers. It's on Kindle, it's on Nook, on iTunes, Smashwords, and it's called Getting Into Medical School The Ultimate Guide for the Anxious Pre Med. And I had started out as a blog. My blog was called Shay's Anatomy, like Grace Anatomy. And I started just writing posts on everything I could possibly think of about planning out your undergrad schedule and what to major in and what extracurriculars to work in. And then I wrote another post about how to effectively prepare for the MCAT and what to study and what the MCAT's really looking for and how it's looking for understanding of the material rather than memorization of the formulas. And I wrote a post on writing a personal statement and I threw up an example of my personal statement, which got me in and what I thought was strong about it. And The blog actually was enormously popular and I decided to just continue writing chapters with example, secondary essays and how to prepare for your interviews and like sample interview questions for the MMI and for the traditional interview and what to wear and how to plan out your itinerary so that you're not catching a flight the same day of and all of and I kept banking off of my experiences and the experiments of my other friends who were applying and um yeah it's um I know it's definitely helped a lot of people it's been really well received everywhere that I've sent it for review and yeah
0: cool what do you think is the biggest mistake pre-meds make
1: I think the biggest mistake that pre-meds make is being too much of the ideal cookie cutter applicant and being afraid to be different. And because like I mentioned earlier, they check off boxes. All right, I completed the shadowing. I completed the clinical experience. And they expect that if they do all the right things and check all the right boxes and have all the right scores that they're guaranteed admission. But the medical school application process really doesn't work that way. It actually looks at who you are as a person. And so your essays are really important and your letters of recommendation are really important and who you are as a person is really important. And that comes through in your application. And so if they look and they see that you don't have any hobbies and there's nothing you like to do and the only thing you've ever done in your life is, you know want to be a doctor and, you know, checked off those cookie cutter application boxes, then you're not as strong of an applicant as somebody who, you know, has real hobbies and has real passions and a real goal for their practice. Not just that they want to help people, but they want to help people in a certain way because they saw a problem and they have a solution that they want to work on.
0: Nice. I like it. And I completely agree. I don't know if you've listened to any of these other podcasts, but there was one recently that I did with the Dean of Columbia. I think I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, The Dean of Columbia. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things that we started to talk about, it was NYU, sorry. Mm -hmm. One of the first things we started to talk about was that checklist and how students need to stop thinking about checking all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stopped him mid-sentence. I said, thank you for saying that because (laughs) too many students think. And it's a very daunting task to get into medical school. And so I think people want the direction and they assume there's something they need to do. And so they're looking for that checklist. But in -hmm. the end, it's do what you're passionate about, do what you like and There's some minimum requirements, but there's no check boxes.
1: Yeah. And also just that the requirements that are there are only there because they're logical. We wouldn't want to accept a medical student who has no clinical experience because they really might not know what they're getting into. And we don't want them to have some sort of existential crisis when they realize that they actually don't like dealing with people or seen patients or maybe they're germophobic, and they didn't realize it yet. (laughs) And that's why we have clinical experience. It's not just a checkbox that you have to get off that you had greater than 100 hours of shadowing by the time you applied or else whatever. It's for a reason. And, you know, research is, I guess, less of a requirement than clinical experience, but it's there to make sure that you've explored other scientific professions. That you know that you really want to be a doctor, even though you've looked at other professions in the field. The GPA, medical school, is really, really hard. It kind of feels like finals week every week. (laughs) Granted, you get used to that amount of work and then you realize that you're functioning at a level that shouldn't be humanly possible. But there's a reason GPA is important. and, And that's because they want to make sure that you can function at a high level all of the time. And MCAT score, the first exam you take in medical school, is going to be a lot harder than the MCAT was. And so will every exam after that. So there's a reason for those requirements. They're not just arbitrary boxes to check.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well said. (laughs) Thanks. Where do you want to go on your journey? You talked a little bit about the public health path and preventive medicine. What's your goal in the future?
1: So... Ideally, I would want to work with preventive medicine, maybe do a preventive medicine residency, which is really interesting. You do one year of clinical rotations, and then after that, you get an MPH. And then after you get the MPH, you do rotations in public health offices, working um, with different public health professionals to better understand the system and policy and how to make changes. That's something I'd really be interested in because... Honestly, I think that we have a huge amount of resources that are going towards care that shouldn't even be necessary. If One of the things I wrote about in my essay, I wrote about this woman who um, came in while I was shadowing, and she thought she might be pregnant because she was having frequent unprotected sex. And on top of that, she had hypothyroidism, and she wasn't taking her thyroid medication. So if she was pregnant, her child would have been severely mentally retarded. And if she had been better educated about the risks of skipping her medication, if she had been, you know, really had the importance of protected sex and all of the consequences of unprotected sex, if she really understood those then she wouldn't have been quite so devastated when the doctor told her that, you know, about the situation that she was potentially in. And every day I would see patients coming in, not realizing that the mess they were in could have been prevented, not just by their doctor having told them something sooner, but by maybe their elementary schools and their high schools and their junior highs having a stronger common health education. And just by really teaching kids nutrition, my mom actually, um, she did a lot of work with inner city high school students, and she would teach science to them. And I worked in her classroom a bit. And for one of our exercises, we pulled out a tub of ice cream and we said, What do you think the serving size is for this? Like, scoop out the serving size. And they would usually put like three or four scoops of ice cream in a giant bowl. And, okay, how much fat do you think is in this? How much sugar? And they're like, oh, three grams of fat, uh, (laughs) 10 grams of sugar. And so many people are making decisions about their health every day without knowing what they're doing. And I think by improving education in those areas, we can really help a lot of people and prevent a lot of suffering.
0: I like it. That's awesome. Thanks. What are some last parting words of wisdom for that anxious pre-med out there?
1: Well, I would just say that to know what you really want out of the process, know why you want to be a doctor it is an incredibly time consuming, demanding process. You're going to spend the next decade of your life or more as part of this system. And if you don't know why you're going in when you enter that system, you're going to start having an existential crisis. You're going to have a really hard time and you're not going to be happy. And so, before you make that commitment to enter medical school, know why you're doing it and put it all in perspective of your life and where you want to be in the future and what you want to be doing. And understand that if you don't get in this cycle, it's not the end of the world. A lot of people have to reapply. A lot of people apply three or four times. One student at my school who actually gave the tour when I interviewed said he applied eight times before finally getting accepted. And Some people really want it that badly. You might not be one of them, but just know what you want and why you want it.
0: All right. Again, that was Shay Garrison, author of the book, Getting Into Medical School, The Ultimate Guide for the Anxious Pre-Med. You can go to our show notes at medicalschoolhq.net slash 103, and I'll have links to that book and a lot more everything else we talked about in this podcast there. So you don't have to Worry about writing it down while you're driving in the car or running on the treadmill or wherever you may be listening. You know what would be cool? If you're still listening to this right now, take a selfie, take a picture of your environment and send a tweet to me. I'm at Medical School HQ on Twitter. Go to Twitter and post a picture and tag it I don't know what to tag it. Just send me a picture at Medical School HQ. I'm not going to come up with a cool tag. Just send it to me. I think that'd be cool. Where do you listen to the podcast? Jessica, you can shoot us a picture of the 405 only when you're stopped bumper-to-bumper traffic. David and Mo, you can send us a picture. I don't know when you guys listen to the podcast, but take a picture. That'd be cool. Anyway, MedicalSchoolHQ.net or MedicalSchoolHQ on Twitter. If you liked today's podcast, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes and leave a rating review if you have not yet. We have over 220 ratings at this point, which is amazing. And we got a couple more since last week. We have Rashawn B., who says, Invaluable. As a non-traditional pre-med, I wish I had found this earlier. Well, you found it now, so take advantage of it. Thanks for leaving a rating interview, Rashawn B. Tisilla, a.k.a. Neurosapiens, says arcane information. And I have to be honest, when I saw arcane information, I thought it was going to be a negative review. I had to look up what arcane meant, or re-look it up because it's been so long since I have learned it. But... It was actually a good review, so thank you to Scylla, a.k.a. Neuro sapiens for that review. Shoot me an email if you have any questions. I am ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, we'd love to hear them. If you have any questions that you want answered on the podcast, you can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash question and leave us a voicemail. And we can play it right here on the podcast and answer your question for everybody to learn. As always, I hope you got a lot of great information out of today's podcast. And even if you take one little snippet from it that improves your journey, it was well worth it. And as always, I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.